For the Sunday evenings in the month of May, it has been our goal to try to deliver some lessons on growing as a new Christian. I observed two weeks ago tonight as we studied the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, the writer says, Beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and falling away from the living God. The writer of the book of Hebrews recognized that it is possible for a person to fall away. When he came to chapter 5, beginning with verse 11, going through chapter 6 and verse 3, he looked at the scenario where some of them were not growing, in fact, had gone backwards. And then in chapter 6 and verses 4 through 8, he observed what that really means in terms of reality. You're going to be lost. But he comes to verse 9 and he says, But beloved, we are confident better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak thus. When he writes that, he recognizes the fact that he was confident that they would be doing better. And when he says things that accompany salvation, he's talking about the growth, the natural process that should take place in the hearts and in the minds of every new Christian. Last week, we looked at the thoughts of growing in knowledge and in wisdom, something that every Christian has to do if he's going to remain faithful to the Lord and be able to make it to heaven. Tonight, I want to concentrate on that phrase that was in Luke chapter 17 and verse 5 when the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. We're going to talk about tonight a person growing in faith. And in order for us to appreciate that, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Thessalonians, to chapter 1. And I want us to look at verses 3 and 4 as we prepare for our study tonight. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And Paul writes... We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you abounds to each other so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Notice again verse 3. In fact, you might want to highlight it. You might want to underline it. You might want to draw attention to that. That your faith grows exceedingly. What does that really mean? What does that mean to you? That your faith grows exceedingly. One of the first things that is important for most people to do is understand what faith really is. So the first part of our lesson tonight will be looking at the Bible very simply. Is What does he mean when he talks about faith growing? Number two, there are things that increase our faith and there are things that decrease our faith. I've got to look and find those things that increase it, that build me up, that make me stronger. I've got to find those things that tear me down and I have got to avoid those. Number three, we want to talk about faith 
as it begins to work in our lives. Let's begin with the idea of what really is faith. If you take your Bibles and you read through it, you're going to find out the word faith is used in two different senses. The first sense in which it is used, it refers to that trust, that confidence, that belief in God that He will do everything that He said He would do. If you will, to open your Bibles now to Hebrews chapter 11. And look at verse 1 and we'll drop down and look at verse 6. Hebrews 11 and verse 1, he says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things we're hoping for. It is that goal, that aspiration of the things that we are keeping our focus. It's where our heart, our devotion is at. But I think when you get to verse 6, you have even a fuller appreciation. He says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So many times when we talk about faith and we talk about trust, we say a man has to believe that there's a God. That's part of it. But he also says you must believe that he rewards the person who diligently seeks him. You've got to believe what God says as well. I like Romans chapter 4 verses 20 and 21. It's talking about Abraham and the promises that God had delivered to him. And Paul says that he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Abraham, when it says that he believed God, he believed that everything God had promised him that he would do, he would, in fact, bring that to pass. That's really what faith involves, trusting God and trusting in his word. Well, there's a second way that faith is used in the Bible, and it is used to describe that body of doctrine which our Lord taught and that which was taught about him by his inspired apostles. If you go to the book of Jude and you look down to verse 3, Jude says, Beloved, while I was very diligent, to write to you concerning our common salvation, he says, I found it necessary to write to you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend for the faith. The faith is that body of doctrine that was revealed. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Or perhaps one that is very clear. When Paul gives the seven ones of Ephesians 4, he said there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He's talking about just one system of salvation. This faith that we're talking about is the one that is the personal confidence and trust in God. And that extends to a number of areas of life. So many people want to say, what is your faith? What do you believe? 
Where do you go? And But the faith affects everything that we do within these walls, but also outside these walls. Let me give you a good illustration. The great passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6 and verses 25 through 34. He's talking about the kind of worry, anxiety people might have about things. And he says to them in chapter 6 and verse 30, he said, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? It means I have to trust God for the food I eat, for the clothes I wear, for the place where I live. Because God, after all, is the giver of all good things. It extends to other kinds of situations in life, like times when things may appear to be very bleak, may be very difficult. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 26, a storm had arisen on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples are fearful and they wake up the Lord. Look at the storm. Look how bad it is. Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Wow, as you see that, you see you've got to trust the Lord even when the storms of life are threatening. We've got to trust the Lord when he tells us to do things that may be appear to us extremely difficult to do. And requires a lot of focus. As you go to Matthew chapter 14. The Lord is walking on the water. Peter wants to go out and meet the Lord on the water. In verse 31 of Matthew 14. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You know, practically when we start talking about the meaning of faith. It's one thing to believe in God or believe that there is a God, but it's much more important to believe in God and what He says and what He expects for us. Faith and its antithesis, that is doubt, are not just mental states. They are concrete ways you and I live our lives. It affects the choices we make. It affects the directions you and I go. So now I'd like to talk about the increasing of faith. And I'd like to talk about the areas where it affects us. Sometimes when we open our Bibles, we read about those people who are weak in faith. We find others who are little of faith. And occasionally we find some who have no faith whatsoever. And even we find people who have great faith. What that tells me is there are levels of faith and there are positions in life where each of us are at. Some people are in the state of no faith. They don't believe in God at all. They don't believe anything He says. There are other people who believe a little bit, but I hate to say this, it's just enough to make them miserable. It's just enough to make them want more, but they're not grasping it. There's others who are growing in faith, like the Thessalonians. 
And then there's some folks who have great confidence and faith. We ought to be like the apostles asking God to increase our faith. We have to realize that if it goes up and down, that I've got to look at some areas where I can improve. Now, let me point out to you that when people approach the Lord, some people start out really strong. Let me give you an example of one. If you want to go with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, you will find our Lord is in the city of Capernaum. There's a man who's a part of the Roman army. He's a centurion. He's a commander of a hundred men. He has a servant who is paralyzed. Now you think about that. You've got someone who served with you for years. Maybe it's because of a disease that he has this paralysis. Maybe it's because of an injury. But he is concerned about him and he comes to the Lord to heal him. But you'll notice the Lord says, okay, I'm going to go to your house. I'm paraphrasing. Lord, you don't need to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. The response in verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to the crowd who followed, those who followed him, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. I've not found a person who starts out with the right kind of, of trust and confidence. Everyone else was saying to the Lord, work a sign, work a miracle, show us something. Here this man says to Jesus, don't bother coming to my house, just say the word, I know that it will be done. He's not even an Israelite. But he's a man of great faith. On the other hand, you can see people who have walked with the Lord for an extended period of time who have difficulty. If you'll turn with me now to John chapter 20. I want to pick up with verse 24. John chapter 20, verse 24. And John is going to record the events after the resurrection of Jesus and the report that is circulated among the apostles. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails... And put my finger into the print of the nail, or put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, when the disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them, Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. 
Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You see, some of us become the kind of people who hear and we mentally register it up in our brains, but we do not have the full confidence that we ought to have. And Thomas did not. That's why we call him Doubting Thomas. In Mark 4, verse 40, I think it's interesting. He says to them, Why are you so fearful? And why is it that you have no faith? You don't really trust. You don't really have any confidence. My point is to try to illustrate. There are times when people have strong faith. There's times when they have little faith. And there's even times when they have none. Well, how do I get it? That's, that's something I need to know. Romans 10 and verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Unless I know what God has said, and unless I believe what God has said, I really don't have faith. I've got to have some information there. If I want to increase my faith, I've got to learn to listen to God more and to man less. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul says that your faith should not be in the wisdom of God, or in wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Too often today we are confident that what men are saying is true more often than we are with what God says. Just think of this. The world today is saying if you give man enough time and enough money that his ingenuity will find the solution to all the problems that plague man. Is that true? If you give man just enough money, you give him enough time, he'll figure out the cure to every disease. He'll figure the problem out so there will be no hunger, no poverty in this world. You give a man enough time and he'll be able to resolve all of the difficulties. Sorry, that's not going to happen. Man does not have that within him. Jeremiah 10, 23 says, O oh Lord, I know the way of man. It is not within man to direct his own steps. He needs guidance from God. And reality has shown us that we can have lots of money, we can have a lot of intelligence, but we still can't resolve all the problems that are part of this world. There's a problem sometimes that people hear the Word of God and they don't believe it. When the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to them in chapter 4 about the children of Israel, how God led them with a mighty hand out of Egypt, led them out in that wilderness, and He gave them guidance, provisions, directions. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, 
For indeed the gospel was preached unto us as well as unto them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. You see, the words of God can be presented, but it's only when I absorb them and I accept them that I am able to grow in faith. In Romans chapter 14, Paul is addressing a situation where people are in doubt. Do I eat meat or not? Do I eat only vegetables? That's a real serious question, morally speaking. Some people simply choose to do what they want to do. He said in verses 22 and 23, Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is the man who does not condemn himself and that which he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. You see, a man's not listening to and not trusting in God. He's not even asking the question, what does God want out of me? So I have to understand, there first has to be the presentation of God's will. There has to be the acceptance of God's will. There has to be the believing of it and the instilling of it within our lives. And this can be done when a child is small. When you read the book of First and Second Timothy, you recognize that Timothy is a, a promising, great young man. And in Second Timothy 1 and verse 5, he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in you also. You have a grandmother who teaches it to her daughter, her daughter then teaches it to her son, and that genuine, unfeigned faithfulness is a part of all three of those generations. You and I can be built up with a mutual faith of one another, Romans chapter 1 and verse 12. Now let me offer some practical thoughts here on the increasing of our faith and avoiding things that decrease it. I think the first thing we ought to do is each one of us ought to take an inventory of our lives and see whether or not we have faith and how strong our faith is. In 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, Paul told the Corinthians, examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. Test or prove yourselves. There has to be some self-evaluation that goes on. How well do I trust God? What are areas in life that make you doubt? You ought to think about those. Is it the basic necessities, food, clothing, and shelter? If it is, read Matthew 6. Consider the birds of the air, how they toil. They neither toil nor spin. 
And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Is it difficult commands? You know, when you read Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, and the Lord says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if your brother comes to you seven times in a day and says, I repent, forgive him. In the parallel account, up to seven times? No, I say up to 70 times seven. Here the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. We need to trust you more. Do you find it difficult to forgive your brother, to forgive your neighbor, to forgive your spouse, to forgive your children, to forgive your parents? When someone sins against you and comes back and says, I'm sorry, do you really, really forgive? Sometimes we need to be saying, Lord, increase our faith. Is it when you are in the company of people who have wild speculations? Brother Don Sullivan this morning mentioned the fact that some of our young people are going to have their faith challenged as they leave this place. Some of you think that this may not be real strong, but you wait till you get into a college class and you have a professor who mocks and belittles the Bible on a daily basis. And you wait till you have friends who are only concerned in getting drunk or high or their latest sexual conquest. Folks, that's reality. And then... It comes time. Are you going to choose to go with them or are you going to choose to go to church? And who is going to build up your faith and who's going to tear down your faith? Or are there other times that things can increase your faith? I want to tell you the recharge that I get every week is Sunday morning. Sunday night, Wednesday night. When I see my brothers and sisters in Christ really, really wanting to do what's good and right, and you get the positive encouragement here, and you know what God said is true and right, you see you grow because you grow in your knowledge. Your knowledge feeds your faith, and then your faith becomes stronger. I could go a lot more than that, but let me move to the third part of our lesson. And faith enables great deeds. I want you to turn with me to the book of James, chapter 2, and begin with verse 14. This is the classic text about faith and works. And James asked, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, 
Depart in peace. Be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things that are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you not see that faith was working together with works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And it was accounted unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then, a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, even so faith without works is dead. You see, there must be more to it than just simply saying, I believe there's a God. Faith and works go hand in hand. And so many times in the Bible, we see faith tied with works that bring accomplishment. Without the faith, there is no accomplished deed. Matthew 9, verses 27 through 29. There's a man here that's blind. He comes to Jesus. He wants him. He's crying, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said unto him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be to you. You have faith. You can accomplish some great things. You don't have faith. You can't. Some people say, well, I have to be able to see the end to be able to to trust. No, that's not trust. I brought out earlier, according to Hebrews 11, verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, but I did not finish that because I wanted to bring it in here. It is the evidence of things not seen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 He says, Wherefore do not lose heart, though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. It's easy for people facing difficulties on the outside to appreciate the fact that God has made promises beyond this physical body. He goes into chapter 5. He says, We know that if this earthly house. This tent is dissolved. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. But if I can't see it, do I really believe it? 
You go down to verse 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. We trust God. You want to be able to accomplish some great things from God? You won't always be able to see the end from the beginning. You won't always be able to see the whole pathway that you're going to follow. But if God tells you to do something, or if God promises you something, which He does through His Word, you can always follow the path that He puts you on and know that it will end where He says it does. Sometimes we fail. I do, and you do. In Luke chapter 22, in verse 32, the disciples are gathered with Jesus during the celebration of the Passover and the institution of the Lord's Supper. They're all around the Lord, and they're all making their proclamations. Lord, I trust you. I'll go with you all the way to the end. Peter appears to be one of the most vocal of the bunch. And here's what Jesus said to him in verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. You know what happened to Peter? His faith failed. It was a lapse, not only in judgment, but a lapse in confidence in God and what He promised. He said, but Peter, when you have returned, repented, your faith has come back, strengthen your brethren. They're going to need it as well. Oh, there's so many people in the Bible that I could mention that are people of faith. Uh, there's Stephen, Acts chapter 6, verses 5 and 8. Barnabas, Acts chapter 11 and verse 24. Great churches are churches that step out on faith and listen to God and accomplish His will. If time would permit me, I'd go through the book of 1 Thessalonians with you. And we'd look at a number of passages. I'm just going to tell you chapter 1, verse 3, verse 8, chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, verses 3 and 4 again, where he focuses on that growth of their faith. Well, let me tell you where your faith ends. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. What a great thought tonight. To realize that if I keep my faith and I grow in my faith and I nurture my faith because I trust God, it ends in heaven. Don't ever give it up. Don't ever give it in. If you'll open your songbook tonight, I want to end with one additional verse in John 1 and verse 12 talks about the coming of Jesus and it says but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God 
even to those who believe on his name. If you believe in the name of Jesus, you trust him. You have confidence in him. Then tonight, you have the right to come to God, repenting of your sins, letting others know of your faith, and being baptized. And you become a child of God. For those of us who are children of God, Revelation 2 and verse 10, but be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of righteousness. If you need to respond, will you come as we stand and sing?